This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyheart. Hello and welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host, Richard Marquez, and joined with me is the lovely Amy Nelson and the amazing Justin Ozer. How are you guys today? Doing great. It's We've had a couple weeks off, so glad to be back with you guys. Oh, just FYI, um, we, we kicked his butt, so you know. Yes, no. <laughs> Q didn't stand a chance with us, and Danny right. Crane. <laughs> How are you today, Justin? <laughs> I'm doing great. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to get together here, although uh, if everything goes as planned, we'll just miss a week for our listeners, but uh, just always great to have you guys together. I think we have an exciting episode coming up here today. But before we go into the episode, we actually have a little bit of Babel Conference feedback for uh, this one, we're going to go um, back to Earl Grey 247, and that would be the lessons uh, episode. So, Justin, why don't you start us off? Yeah, uh, Christopher Lutz says, a fun and heartfelt discussion. I love the extra passion when a favorite moment or episode like this one is discussed. I enjoy all of Picard's various romances, with Crusher being my personal favorite. Darren is certainly right there with her in regards to her overall compatibility with Jean-Luc. Vash and Anish appealed to specific aspects of Picard's character, archaeology, and exploration, respectively, while Crusher, and a little more so Darren, both match his personality more completely. I couldn't really see a long-term relationship with anyone but Crusher or Darren for this reason. If we see one other TNG cast member appear in the Picard series, I want it to be Beverly. Well, thanks so much for the comment. Um, I I think I agree with you. The only, for me personally, the only uh, long-term relationship I could see is either Crusher or or Darren. And of course, in that last episode, we talked about how much I love Darren, but I love Picard and Beverly as well. It's just a little bit lower on my list than, than Darren, but it's still pretty high up there. Yeah, I think the continued friendship, you know, just leads and lends itself to seeing Crusher with Picard a little bit more so than with Darren. But that's only because they, you know, have seven seasons and four movies together. Yeah, I think it's incredible how much they developed the relationship with Darren in just one episode. So, right. Yeah, and there could mm-hmm. have been more, but not to be. But there wasn't. <laughs> But yeah, no, I agree. I, I totally agree. Uh, seeing Crusher uh, as the long-term relationship. I mean, yeah, of course, Darren was the, is the crush. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, see what uh, you did there. More than the crusher, <laughs> yeah. 
Crush, crush, yeah. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> and then make Crusher the Dare. Uh, um, no. <laughs> crusher the Dare. Oh, I like that. Ooh. Do you dare it? <laughs> I, anyway. <Okay. laughs> off track, off track. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I really like, I like, I really love the episode or the, um, the relationship with Crusher 2 as a long term more than, um, even though, uh, more than Darren, even though I do think that she does well with Bosch too, but I mean, or he does well with Bosch too. So, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have Wes Huntington who says, I love lessons, especially that scene where Picard is thinking Nella is dead and is mourning in silence. The music just makes it so powerful. Yeah, that one scene where he closes that lid and, and you're right, the music and that silence that you know that he's suffering is very powerful and just makes another reason why Lessons is a great episode. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so do I. I mean, I have nothing more than that. <laughs> um, Brandon Shea-Mattelis, um, as much as I love Generations... I agree with the inner light callback uh, would be would it would have been amazing. I also agree that uh, that it was his nephew Renee in the Nexus. Yeah, this actually this was the comment on lessons, but it was part of feedback from an earlier one when we had Joe Keegan on to talk about Picard's family and we talked about generations and I think I had specifically called out Brandon Shamatalo like, would you have liked that inner light callback instead of the Victorian family? And see, even he agrees and he loves generations. There you go. Yes. There you go. Okay, well, we're um, because next episode we're going to be under a time constraint, and we will tell you guys at the end of this episode. So you're going to have to listen to the whole entire episode. We're also going to be talking about Babel Conference feedback for Earl Grey 248, and that would be one of our favorites. I agree, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fun. <laughs> Favorite character moments from Generations, and I had a lot of fun with that. Did you have a lot of fun with that, Amy? Yes, I did. I yeah, loved it. Yeah, we got some great feedback from it, too. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Totally. So, Amy, why don't you start us off? All right. Well, Greg Malumby says, My favorite moment is actually the end scene and the conversation between Picard and Riker talking about time being a companion on the journey and Riker wanting to live forever. I also love Data finding Spot and Deanna Troy being there saying the chip is working perfectly. It's such a tender moment between two characters who have had that bond the entire series. Absolutely two great, great moments in Generations. You know, um, Greg, I actually uh, used that line the, first, uh, uh, the where time is a companion mm-hmm. uh, and Riker wants to live forever to my wife uh, <laughs> recently. We were talking about something about how we're going to die or something like that. And I told her she's going to die from an accident. She's like, well, you're going to die of a, uh, you're going to die of a heart attack. It's like, I don't think so. I'm going to live. Forever. I don't know about <laughs> you, but I plan to live forever. <laughs> I plan on living forever. Yes. That's a great, great line. And Riker gives that smile of his. It is. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Perfect for him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Stefan Ringline says, what a wonderful episode, guys. Being a big fan of Generations myself, I was particularly looking forward to this episode and enjoyed it a lot. Like Amy, I also get angry when people do the Troy Crash the Enterprise D joke. She did a great job at the helm if even Spot has survived the crash. A colleague... That's right. <laughs> yes, and we, we will always fervently argue that, Amy and I, right? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, <clears throat> a, a colleague of the new Stellar tar- Cartography character is the new D refit bridge character with more consoles at each side, a chair for wharf, stairs, and of course the darker lighting. That's also part of that uh, 1701D remodel we talked about, right? Yeah. <laughs> Does a little, Not refit, little interior remodel. decorating remodel, right? Just, you know, add a few consoles here, some stairs, a chair. Yeah. <laughs> interior de- uh, decoration got to the job. Yeah, there must be an interior decorator in Starfleet, right? Or like an admiral of interior decoration. Has to be. Absolutely. I can see that as a profession. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there has to be. Somebody's doing this. Because so, no one lives in houses anymore. I mean, they clearly do live in houses, <laughs> so. but well, on starships, I mean, that's future. different. Yeah. yeah, on starships. But anyway, <laughs> Stefan goes on to say, you all picked great moments. It was warming my heart when you told about your newfound appreciation for the film. When Amy and Richard sang the Lifeform song, I was humming along. See, we weren't the only ones, Richard. That's good. Yes, and I repented my position a little bit after the episode aired because after... You guys sang that, and I was like, no, I'm not going to sing it with you. I found myself like around the house during different moments of the week, like singing it. So I was like, okay, maybe it's not that bad. <laughs> victory, victory. Success. Yeah. Does so. Bugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, As you're cleaning. There you go. There you go. There's a tune for you to sing while you're doing it. <laughs> Life. I just hope that we weren't like tone deaf or something. No, like no, that, you were fine. I, I no, it sounds pretty it. good. I, I didn't hear it, so I was like, I haven't heard it yet, so I have to get to that one. But like, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I hope I sounded good. We sounded fabulous. <laughs> okay, it was a very faithful rendition. Yes, there you go. <laughs> At least we did it justice. Um, so Tim Hans said, uh, great exchange between Park, uh, Picard and, uh, and Kirk in the movie. Picard, you're a star for the officer. You have a duty. Kirk, I, I, I don't need to be lectured by you. I was out saving the galaxy when your grandfather was in diapers. Yeah, I love that. That's a great moment. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Great, 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 great <laughs> moment. <laughs> and it's, it's almost like a, a proxy for like a TOS TNG kind of fight, like... Come on, Kirk, mm-hmm. do your duty. And it's like, what are you talking about? I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yep. And eventually it got to him. So that's great. <laughs> that's pretty great. That's yeah. great. I think I need to use that line when I'm talking to my students and they're like trying to challenge me. Uh, no, kids. I've been teaching math way before. Not since you. their grandparents were in diapers, I think. But <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't want to age myself that yeah, much. I was gonna say, that, would don't re- do that. that would require you going into some Nexus or time travel device for a long period of time. <laughs> but we wouldn't know it. And <laughs> right? Would we? Because <laughs> she can come back at any time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. I have no response. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. I just, yeah. <laughs> So uh, thank you guys for all that con- that uh, c- those comments. We certainly do appreciate it. Um, we actually have two emails. Um, Justin, do. would you like to? Is it two? It's two, oh, yeah. yeah. We got two emails. Oh, okay, okay. I, I thought I read no, that it's, wrong. No, it's, it's right. So even more feedback from our favorite character moments from Generations. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of feedback. It's great. <laughs> uh, so the first uh, email comes from Rick Everson from the UK, who's written to us before. Um, and he says, I really enjoyed your latest episode on the character moments and generations. I'm glad you're doing the movies individually instead of just having one episode on character moments from the TNG movies. I think we all totally agree on that. It's much better to just take them individually and get all those those moments. Um 
All the time as I listened, I was hoping one of you would mention Jordi for giving data after the events on the Amargosa Observatory. While Jordi doesn't get that many moments in this movie, that was one that was such a beautiful moment that encapsulates their friendship. Even though Jordi had been getting frustrated with Data, he later showed how deep their friendship is and that he will always support Data exploring his humanity. I wanted to mention what I thought was a glaring omission for a character moment in Generations. Worf at no point indicates concern for Alexander. We know later from DS9 that he was okay, but I would have liked to have seen some indication or acknowledgement from Worf about this. We get to see Data cry over finding his flipping cat after all. (laughs) 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 For the end of a ship that carried families, the one main character who had a child aboard with him never mentions him. Thanks for taking the time to read this and for making an awesome podcast. So thanks so much, Rick. Some great points there. You know, first that that Geordi moment of forgiving Data, that's, that's a really great moment we didn't even think about. Uh, I mentioned it. It was my honorable mention. Was it part of your honorable mentions? Yes. Hmm. Thank you very much. Well, Rick and yes. I missed that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but Rick has another vote well, that that's a good moment. Um, yes. Yeah. But yeah, great point about Worf. I didn't yeah. even think about that. You don't even think that. about and it because you only see Alexander a couple times during TNG, but it's like, as far as we know, he's still on the ship and Worf should have some concern and be like, Alexander, you know, and, and rush over yeah. to his quarters or something. But. Yeah. Excellent, excellent point. Yeah. But they remembered Spot, which they didn't necessarily have to. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, thanks so much, Rick, for your comments. And we have one more email here, also about our the favorite character moments generation. That's from uh, Scott Myers. And here's what he has to say. I'm so glad you guys decided to have an episode talking about character moments in Generations. Excellent podcast. I know Generations isn't everyone's favorite movie. However, it certainly is mine. Some of the reasons why I love it the most are general, but others are personal. Generations was the first TNG big screen movie. Everyone knows this. But this was a big deal to TNG fans at the time. We got to see our favorite characters on a huge screen. We got to see them and the Enterprise in a much higher resolution than low-res over-the-air TV quality 480i. We get to see them in new snazzy uniforms. We got to see a cinematic redesign slash lighting of the bridge. And even though not utilized the way many would like, we got to see both Kirk and Picard sharing the screen and interacting with each other. That was a big deal for any TNG fan, and the excitement was real. Any flaws the movie had were overshadowed by all of those things. They were easier to dismiss back then as compared to binge-watching all the movies together while sitting on your couch today. Even First Contact's initial hype and excitement couldn't reach Generations level simply because it wasn't the first. The other big reason why Generations will always remain at the top for me is because of the excitement over its release I shared with my high school best friend. He and I saw it in the theater multiple times. We made MST3K-like jokes on some of our latter viewings in an empty theater, and we had gone our separate post-high school ways by the time First Contact had been released. That same friend has since passed away, and I cherish those memories of him that I have wrapped up within generations. First Contact has none of those, so there's zero chance it could ever compete in my personal opinion. I objectively know Generations doesn't have the strongest plot of all the Trek movies, And if I were to have seen it today on my couch, back to back with the other TNG movies, I'd probably feel the same way as others do, but I didn't. And the experiences and circumstances surrounding it helped build it up to be what I consider the best of them all. Thanks again for all you guys do. I truly enjoy listening to you every week and you always bring a smile to my face. Thank you so much uh, for that message that you sent us, Scott. I know that 
took some time to compose that and put that together and it probably isn't uh, easy to to share personal things and of a friend who who sadly passed away so we just really appreciate you so much taking the time and i found that for generations it's the case for some other fans where it's their favorite movie that it was the experience like this is the first tng movie this is special or there was some special circumstance it was the first star trek movie they saw they saw it with someone who was meaningful so i've, I've definitely heard that from other people's and people and uh, we appreciate you sharing that scott yeah, I agree with what you said, Justin, and thank you, Scott, for writing and, and letting us know and sharing your story with us. I just love how, you know, time and time again, you can talk to anyone who, you know, loves Star Trek, and it is it is because of those connections, and I, and I just have a hard time trying to find any other franchise or, you know, movie that has such a personal connection with not only the story, but with the people who also love Star Trek. I, I love that connection and family and friends and watching it together and building the memories. And it, it does, it influences the way that you view and your perspective on Star Trek movies and, and series. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you also. Um, yeah, I, I'm obviously a lot of us have personal um, stories towards, towards um, Star Trek and losing family members or friends or, or whatnot. And um, I really certainly appreciate that as well, Scott. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's get on with the uh, episode. So uh, so this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, lost episodes, as we previously mentioned before. And Justin, would you like to lead? Yeah, so this is part three. So we did the first and second part in Earl Grey 226 and 236. It took us a little longer to get around to this one because we had some exciting stuff to, to share, but we're coming back to lost episodes. And in, in the past, so we've, we've done two from uh, a book that I've been working from called Lost Voyages of Trek and the Next Generation um, that includes, I think it's 13 um, unproduced scripts, and there's quite a lot of detail in, in these things in the outlines. But we're going to start off today with something a little bit different, I think something really exciting. So it's an idea that's been, that we've known about for a while. It would have been a second season uh, TNG episode called Return to Forever that would have included Spock and the Guardian of Forever. But just a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a release of a detailed four-page outline of the story where we got to find out a lot more of what this story would have been like. And so that was released on the at Trek Docs Twitter account. And uh, I looked up some information and that's, that's basically uh, run by uh, some people who uh, who worked on Star Trek and like to put out some documents from from their time there. It's anonymous, so I don't know who's actually part of it, but <laughs> but uh, there's, there's definitely real documents. So this was one that had uh, had just come out a couple of weeks ago. So uh, the outline for this was by Tracy Torme, and he was a writer and executive story editor for seasons one and two of The Next Generation. Uh, he's credited as a writer on episodes uh, like Haven, The Big Goodbye, Conspiracy, The Schizoid Man, The Royale, and Manhunt. So definitely very much involved in the show the first uh, couple of seasons, and this was a proposal. Obviously, it didn't happen, but if it would have happened, I think it would have been exciting. So you guys want me to get right into reading the outline to you? Yes, very I'm, exciting. Yeah. Yes, very exciting. <laughs> All right. So on this, uh, it's dated. This is one of the few ones where we actually have a date, August 25th, 1988. So they're working on the production for uh, the second season of TNG. And here's what it says. 
Discovered 80 years ago by Kirk, Spock, and company, the time portal known as the Guardian of Forever is the most restricted object in known space. Only a small team of scientists are allowed to monitor its images, but no one may enter it for fear of altering history. So, so far, this kind of fits with what we see on, in uh, City on the Edge of Forever. And they're going to do a follow-up to that. Mm-hmm. It is to this locale that the Enterprise travels with Mr. Spock as a passenger. I think it's pretty interesting they wanted to bring Spock in in the second season. We don't see him until the fifth season in Unification. I just want to pause and ask, like, what would you have thought if you were watching TNG and Spock all of a sudden is there in the second season? You know, it's interesting because, you know, comparing it with Discovery and them bringing Spock in the second season. Mm, True, true. And I'm not that... (laughs) happy about it i've been you know since season one hearing about it and i was like oh just let us let discovery stand on its own um Hmm. but i don't know if i would feel that way with tng Uh, i think because it's like the one that directly follows tos i think it would have been more natural i you know honestly i i I don't mind i I, i'm in the same boat as you uh amy um discovery definitely should uh, stand on its own and, uh, you know, and, and then eventually visit that later on down the road. But like, I don't mind like a, maybe a, a one or two highlight of, of a, of a previous character from another show. Um, like in this case, you know, it'd be Spock and I actually don't mind that at all, but like, well, I guess we'll find out, but I mean, (laughs) with discovery, but I mean, I'm not making any predictions, but I just hope that it doesn't dominate the entire season. It's pretty interesting that you guys mentioned that because I wasn't, when I was thinking about this, I was just trying to get to the mindset of 1988 and what that would have been like, but uh, I didn't even think about Discovery. And you're right. uh, You know, at first, we might as well talk about it since you guys did. At first I thought, oh, we don't need Spock and Discovery. That's, that's, but, but then like, as I found out more and saw the actor that's going to play, I'm actually excited about it. And we're actually probably going to get a lot of Pike (laughs) the second season of Discovery, like 13 episodes. But I'm okay with it because in like, I think in a lot of ways, Discovery is kind of like a, uh, more of a TOS prequel than anything else, at least how I see it. But well, well, okay. So since we're talking about it, (laughs) a little tangent, all right. (laughs) A little tangent. We'll just go off here. I just don't. I just don't want the. I don't want it to be one of those shows where, to uh, like we have to. I mean, we have to have those characters in in the series just be, just to get fans. I mean, just to get fans on board. I mean, I, I really what they should really focus. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't, but I'm just saying like what they really should focus is story and the drama and all that kind of stuff and make it actually a good story versus, you know, I, oh, well, Spock's in it. Well, I'm a TOS fan. I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm I, on board. I, I, yeah. You know, yeah I think, well, I think the interesting thing when you think about it, though, is like Discovery is, well, now where it's at is like seven or eight years before the start of the original series. For TNG, if mm-hmm. they were going to bring in Spock, yeah, they had McCoy and Encounter at Farpoint, but you don't really have any, like in 1988, you don't really have any idea what Spock mm-hmm. is doing from where you see him in the voyage home up until this point, which is like 75, 80 years later. So I would think in a certain way, it would be like, whoa, what, what is he doing there? We don't even know what he's been doing for all of these years. Whereas in Discovery, you know he's on the Enterprise during that period of time. So right. I, I, I think mm. that um, it would have, it would have like if they had done that in TNG, it might have been the kind of thing where it's like, so why, why are we doing, like, why is it necessary to do that? I don't know. I could be wrong. Well, and I have a question because, you know, looking at hindsight, we know that when TNG, you know, started, they definitely 
wanted to not have an association with TOS because they definitely wanted it to stand it on its own, even though, part. yeah, encounter at Farpoint, you know, we know that there's these stories of, you know, trying to be its own thing and separate. So I'm wondering, like, was this episode or was this lost episode denied because of the interaction and storyline with Spock? Because they definitely, but as a fan, I, I didn't know that they wanted that major separation. Yeah. It's only through hindsight. I, and, and, I, and I've only heard speculation about it, like Leonard Nimoy wanted more than they were willing to to pay for it, and that later you get him in unification because he wasn't asking as much because it was kind of a promotion for the undiscovered country, which is happening at the same time. That's how I understand it, right. but I, I don't know if that's, if that's what happened because, like I said, before we got this outline, there was very limited information. Uh, so, mm-hmm. I, you know, when we post this, I'm going to... Uh, ask the at Trek Docs Twitter account to take a listen. Maybe they can tell us some more information about oh, why it yes. didn't happen. Because mm. there might have been some people behind the scenes there. So anyway, there uh, I know we went off for, for a little bit, but I think it's striking that right at the very beginning, it's like Spock is a passenger on the Enterprise D. So it's a little bit unlike Unification mm. where it's like this plot goes on and they're looking for Spock and you see Spock like right at the end of the part one. And this, it was like, mm-hmm. he's there at the beginning. So Here he is, yep. Right, right. yep. So mm-hmm. continuing. Um, Spock going to the Guardian on a scientific journey is decidedly unsentimental about returning to the Enterprise. Yet he, now it's interesting to say returning to the Enterprise because this is a different Enterprise, but whatever. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yet he is vaguely troubled by a sense of deja vu. He seems to remember some of our officers even though he knows he's never met them before puzzling so he has this idea that he actually knows the people on the enterprise d even though he hasn't been there before interesting mystery Mm. um so they arrive at the guardian shields are down and the research team is dead so i guess there's supposed to be a shield around the guardian and the research team there is dead (gasps) yeah dun 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 The, Commercial. <laughs> yep. The, the, Act one. The only survivor is a little boy in a catatonic state. The boy is beamed aboard and put under Dr. Pulaski's care. Now, here's the interesting thing, because it's season two, Pulaski's there. We never see Pulaski and Spock together. What would that be like? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Some little disagreements yeah. like McCoy and Spock, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so as Picard and company try to figure out what killed the scientists, strange things begin to happen on the Enterprise. And then in parentheses, it just has destructive things wreaking havoc all over the ship with no apparent pattern and culprit. So I imagine a couple of scenes of weird stuff happening. Who knows what? Circuits being blown out here and there. <laughs> yeah, or maybe like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, like a window gets blown out and someone, well, hopefully someone doesn't get sucked oh, into space. Oh, I would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Use your imagination there. Um, so Riker suspects the child, so that boy that was beamed aboard, but the boy is still sleeping peacefully and P- Pulaski defends him vociferously. Of course she does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, in a shocking twist, Spock is found dead in his cabin. Big dun dun dun. I can imagine like a little scene break there. (laughs) Spock is dead. Yeah, when I was first reading this, I was like, wait, where did they want to take this? What is going on? And then every single TOS fan just shut out their TVs. (laughs) They're like, this is garbage. (laughs) But wait, there's more. I can imagine they cut to a commercial break. And then when they come back from the commercial break, Pulaski discovers, however, that he's not dead. He has a pulse rate of two beats per minute. 
Oh, two beats per minute. Seriously, that's, right. that's like that's like a reference from the TOS episode, wasn't there? That he they thought he was dead, wasn't there? Thought Spock uh, was dead. Or are you thinking when they thought yeah, Kirk I, was I, dead I, during I, a muck time? No, I thought was it. I I, I think I there's it was probably Spock. some reference that they can they can go down to like this healing state where it's a couple beats per minute or is that in the novels? I don't know, but okay, but yeah, 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 it feels okay, like a little yeah. bit of a cop out. It's like he's dead, and then they come back. It's like wait a minute, he's not dead. He just has a really low heart rate. <laughs> <laughs> he has all the symptoms of death except his heart's still beating. <laughs> After a hundred years, you think they would calibrate their <laughs> tricorders to recognize that? Right, you think they know hey. a lot about more about Vulcan anatomy? Right. So it's from um, Space Seed. Space Seed, okay. Space yeah, seed. and it was four beats per minute. Okay. Very slow rate. Thank you for looking that up. I'd forgotten it, but you're okay. you're right, Richard. Oh, there you go. This is even slower though. Two beats. Yeah. Not crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> all right. So all now going back to Spock being not dead but having a really low heart rate. Um, all other bodily functions besides his brain have been shut down, and the doctor has no explanation. Uh, poor Pulaski, no explanation. <laughs> well, this is not Crusher. Oh. Oh, come on. They're both great. Please. <laughs> all right. So down on the planet, Jordy reports that someone or something is coming through the portal. Picard arrives just in time to see Spock, 78 years younger, coming through. So ah, a young. There we go. So is is that the hair and everything? Is that the hair and everything at the bowl cut? I guess like we've seen. So, well, <laughs> I don't know if it'd be like in Discovery, but but like but okay, let's pause and see what this means. This means you know Leonard Nimoy would be playing the older Spock, presumably, mm-hmm. right. and you'd have to recast for a younger Spock, right? Mm, they can do pretty good to. with some makeup. But we're talking about the 80s. I mean, they wouldn't be able to, like, you know, uh, really use a lot of effects or CGI it or anything. They would have to have a different actor. And maybe they could do something with makeup, but they'd have to. I think this would have been the first time, probably, they would have had a different actor for. Let me think about this. What about his son? What? What about his son? To play um, younger Spock? Adam Nimoy? Um. When, hmm. How old was he back this then? Is a, this is a great question. I hadn't thought about this. Let us think about how... It, maybe that could have been interesting. Well, why are you thinking about here. it? They definitely could have used Leonard Nimoy. Just put him in TOS uniform and all the fans but he, but would it's, be but totally it's, But it's supposed it. to be 70-something years later during the original series. He wouldn't have looked like he did in the 60s. I mean, maybe you could... But they it, would but... have put him in the same uniform and all of us would yeah, have been like, like, oh, that's a, that's the time frame. We're okay with it. Make his skin tight, put okay. some I, uh, so hair I, clips uh, on him. So I looked it up. Yeah. Uh, Adam Nimoy was 32 at the time. Could have worked. Oh. Well, that, that could, could work. work. That could all right. work. Yeah. Listeners, you'll have to let us know. Should they have put Leonard Nimoy in the old uniform and do some makeup and hope it looked okay? Had Adam Nimoy, somebody else that would have been worked in 1988, let us know. But yeah, I, but I mean, they would have had to do something where it would try to simulate what he was like all that long ago. And I'm sure there would have been a huge controversy, right? Yeah, well, I mean, would be look at uh, uh, what, Ethan, the one Ethan, where Picard, oh, um, where he gets stabbed in the heart. Oh, tapestry, my gosh. and they have a younger yeah, Picard. Tapestry. Picard, yeah, but the, but, he was... But, but, they had, it had never been established before what young same. Picard looked like. It has been established what young Spock looked like. So people would compare it to that. Anyway, <laughs> boy. Okay. But but I just wanted to point that out. I think it's a bold move that they were like, let's have an older Spock and a younger Spock in this. 
Right. So I just want to say this is our most interactive uh, last episode. <laughs> well, I think we have a lot to say. I think it's because it's it's the one so far that that if it would have been done would have had a huge impact and would have gotten a lot of attention. So I think there's a lot yes, of questions we true. have, that's like true. what would that mean? What what? Whereas the other one, it's yeah. like ah, it would have been like an episode of the week or whatever, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I know, <laughs> but but also this outline is shorter than the other ones, so I wanted to make sure to get some interaction. <laughs> but I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of questions. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Younger Spock comes through, and it says, Spock has been chasing this boy through time. When it says boy, I think it's that's the little boy that they, right. that they referenced that's, before. Mm-hmm. And he, being the boy, is, well, let me think about this. It, it, what it says is, Spock has been chasing this quote-unquote boy through time. He is the cause of death and destruction, whether intentionally or otherwise. So I think that's the boy that's responsible mm-hmm. for something. Thing that's happening on the Enterprise D. Uh, <clears throat> Spock is fascinated yet alarmed to hear that his older self is aboard the Enterprise. Now, what I'm imagining here, like if you have them interacting, is almost like in the Kelvin movies where you have Leonard Nimoy right. as Spock and Zachary Quinto as Spock, like talking to each other about what's going on. So they were thinking about that. Yeah, when that. you said that, that was popping yeah. to my mind. I'm like, oh, Beyond and yeah. Uh, 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 or, Oh, nine. oh, nine. Yeah, they, they did that. Yeah. So they were thinking about these things back in the late 80s, and that probably would have changed how they thought about all those other things later. So I think this would have had a big impact. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so again, Spock's fascinated yet alarmed to hear his older self is aboard the Enterprise. They must all be careful not to do anything that will change history. He also explains the state his older self is in. It is self-induced and highly dangerous, an advanced Vulcan's way of channeling concentration or unblocking a memory. The older Spock may remain in this state for an hour, a week, or a year. There's no way of telling. He also may die. Wait, so <laughs> again, I'm sorry because I've got, you know, I co-host the yeah, yeah, go ahead. about Discovery. So is that how uh, Burnham and Sarek were able to communicate in those huge distances? You know, remember in oh, season one? Oh, yeah, you one? think and, that, that like in that Sarek would have had some kind of like lower yeah this catatonic state and like you know burnham was on the edge of dying and so maybe was able to reach out and stuff i don't know it's a good question i mean this Mm -hmm. bring like i think it's interesting because this brings up a lot of questions that you didn't necessarily get to address in unification because it's a different it's a different kind of thing because in unification you have an older spock he's on romulus it's really about what's going on with him and what's going on with the unification movement this is more about like, what's this thing that's altering history, and how does the older Spock and the younger Spock relate to it? So, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy. <laughs> so, um, the younger Spock comes aboard, and Data's thorough check of history tapes indicates no record of Spock ever having traveled to the future Enterprise, nor any description of the dangerous child alien he discovered. So, this is the first time it says it's an alien. <laughs> so, there's a child mm-hmm. alien. Everyone is worried. Has the past already been altered? So this is also interesting. A younger Spock and Data, because we've got to see the older Spock and Data. Like, mm-hmm. would that? Have, I mean, like, what would that have been like? I don't know. There's just so many, like, possibilities uh, for for this one. I, I'm kind of like a little sad they didn't make it, and also like a little frightened about what that would have looked like if they would have made it and how it would have affected everything. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so the worry the past might have been altered. Meanwhile, the slumbering child's thoughts are becoming more and more destructive. The Enterprise is in severe danger, especially after the, after the boy wakes up in a nasty mood. Now, this reminds me a little bit 
uh, I mean, it's different because I think it's a non-Vulcan, but it reminds me a little bit of the episode Sarek, where Sarek comes aboard and like his his thoughts and his cluttered mind is like leading to fights and all these negative things happening aboard the Enterprise. So they right. were thinking of something like that in season two already. So just as the Enterprise is about to come apart at the seams, the older Spock appears and defeats the boy, who we find out is actually 800 years old, by suggest- successfully predicting his every move. Now, there's not much detail here what that means. Yeah, wait a minute. This is just lumping <laughs> huh. it all into one sentence. I know, like there's all this detail, and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, some stuff happens, uh, older Spock defeats the boy. He's 800 years old. He successfully predicts uh, the, old, the boy's every move. And the boy's 800 years, like, what? <laughs> I think there's, a, like, this is, I think, a pretty early outline. So there's a lot of stuff that would have had to have been fleshed out here. But yeah, this, Quite a bit. yeah, that, that, that's <laughs> what it says. And, like, defeats him, like, in, in what way? He just, like, predicts his every move and maneuvers him to do, like, the neck pinch or something else, a nerve pinch or something else. I don't know. So um, the older Spock explains that he has unblocked his memory cells, thus remembering everything about his journey to the future Enterprise some 80 years ago. So he's actually remembering when he as younger Spock that we see like made this journey to the Enterprise D. So he has a memory of doing that, even though the younger Spock's there at the same time. I feel like we Mm. need a diagram, but... (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. It gets it gets a yeah. little complicated. Uh, therefore, he knew what was going to happen. That's how he overcame the child. I mean, that's a little bit of like a predestination paradox, I think you'd call it, where it's like, I know what to do because I've experienced this before. But what about the first time that you experienced that? So. <laughs> yeah, it's that time travel circular loop that yeah. gets you in trouble every time. Paradox. Yep. <laughs> yep. I hate temporal mechanics, to quote (laughs) O'Brien. It's very complicated. Okay, so then, uh, left alone, the two Spocks converse and say goodbye. Just before his younger self steps through the portal and into the past, the older Spock touches the side of his head and whispers the word forget, thus setting in motion the memory block that will not be removed until until he's 80 years older. (laughs) So he's like setting up this like circular thing. Yeah. The, oh, so then it doesn't prevent it. It's just going to keep, from somebody's Looping. perspective, keep happening endlessly. Yeah. Um, back on the Enterprise, it says here the next generation Spock. I mean, they mean the older Spock. Uh, finally admits that he does have a lot of memories associated with this ship. In a moment that comes as close to sentimentality as a Vulcan ever gets, Spock requests a tour. The end. <laughs> Huh. So hmm. um, I, I think it's interesting because certain things are fleshed out and for other things they would have had to flesh it out or deal with how it would have worked. But like in, in general, like Amy, what do you think of this episode and would you have liked to have seen it? Definitely would have wanted to see this. And you're right. Like the questions that we talked about throughout, it's like they were thinking this in season two Mm -hmm. and you know it's sort of a mix of oh nine with the time traveling and the old spock and the new spock and you know sort of spock when you said spock says goodbye to himself it sort of made me think of times squared with picard and there's also a scene in oh nine i think where the older and younger spock kind of say goodbye to Mm -hmm. each other right Right? yeah yeah when they're talking to each other and and uh yeah great time travel and sort of that loop thing 
reminded me of time zero where make sure to put the, oh, yeah. the watch yep. back in the cavern because it's going to happen again, uh-huh. you know? Oh, better leave data's <laughs> right. head there, you know? Wait a minute, what? So very interesting uh, concept, but I think you're right. It definitely would have set up, this episode would have changed a lot of things that we'd seen in the future. For sure. So what are your thoughts on it, uh, Richard, o- overall, and I, whether you wanted to see it? I, I, I like it. I, it's, it's. Um, I, I, I just, I, I would love to see him, how, how he would overpower the, uh, the child. Like, like, does he, like karate, like uh, Kirk karate chop him or something like that, or I want to say he maneuvers him into something. a nerve pinch, but I, who knows? No, that very well could be. Or who yeah. knows? Maybe in all but, that I mean, time, Spock definitely... has learned like fisticuffs. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. There well, you go. <laughs> I figured he did it with his logic because he was, you know, knowing his every move. Which again, that's a little far fetched <laughs> idea, but yeah. Or maybe we could have a barrel fall. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> That would bounce off him. <laughs> bounce off him. I'm sorry, bounce. Not not, not like kill him, yeah. but I mean, he won't it, die, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, I could definitely see this as a um, as a standalone. I mean, I don't know how much of a how much it would like affect the rest of it, but I could definitely see this as a standalone. Where you know, I mean, unless there was some obviously that something happened, like maybe a better relationship between two characters or something like that from this. But I mean, I could see that as a standalone <laughs> episode. You yeah. know, without. I mean, context except for the TOS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I yeah. I definitely would have wanted to see it. I think it would have been a really interesting idea, although like how it would have changed the trajectory of TNG or maybe it would have gotten more like crossovers if Leonard Nimoy was willing to do that in season mm-hmm. two. Because I mean, like after Leonard Nimoy was on, you get to see uh, uh, Jimmy Duen as, as Scotty. Um, but I mean, maybe there's more if it was going on that early. One thing that really surprises me about this and they would have had to work out is... Like, what's this child's motivation? Why is this happening? Um, I'm also surprised they don't have a mind meld in it there anywhere. It's like, you have Spock and there's no mind meld? Because I would have expected maybe it would be like a classic kind of episode where he would have to do a mind meld with the child and figure out what's going on and try to work through it or something. I don't know. So I think there are things they would have had to work out because it's a fairly short outline. But um, I definitely am like fascinated by that possibility and how things would have I mean, yeah, it probably would have just been one episode, but I think it would have changed things maybe in the crossovers you might get or what happens later in the movies and stuff. So it could have been a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Any any other thoughts about this one before... I, I wanted to put this first because it's probably the most exciting one, but <laughs> before we move on to the next one. Yeah, well, oh, when you said the age of the child, what, 800, 800 years, years old, old? I was sort of thinking, yeah, is this, you know, what... <laughs> races what alien is this what species is it you know similar to Guinan's yeah. you know Alorian you know what or? made me think of it made me think of I think it's a Voyager episode Innocence where they actually uh, as they get older their kind of physical appearance gets younger <laughs> until they die so it made me think huh. of that do you know which episode I'm thinking oh, of Richard yeah yeah yeah, yeah. where the where, oh, what, what is it wasn't there like a famous actor on that one too the the little boy that Wasn't I don't that, uh, know. It... Hmm. But, but it made me think of that concept. Like, oh, is it just that, you know, maybe they're they're shorter in stature and they live a long time? Or maybe they, like, kind of age backwards a little bit like that species in yeah. innocence? Yeah, they didn't really. That, that would suck. You, you, you're born old and you start getting younger. <laughs> well, and I like the 
we have been able to pull so many different examples and you know just themes and from this and and just yeah like you keep saying this is season two you know and they have all these themes going through it that we're seeing you know (laughs) even now in discovery so it's pretty cool yeah and it's not like we knew the uh the the age of those kids either so or at least they didn't establish the um, the age. I don't, they? In, in, I don't in innocence. I don't think that they did. Although yeah. I got the sense it was like eighty or ninety Earth years or something. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right. So a little different for lost episodes, but I think a really interesting one. Listeners, definitely let us know what you think of that one. What other questions you might have that come up because of this? How it would have changed things? Whether you would have liked to see it? We'd just love to hear your feedback on that. Mm-hmm. So shall we go on to the second one we're going to cover today? Yes, please. All right. We should. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay. So the second one is called the Immunity Syndrome. Exact same name as a TOS Season 2 episode. I'm sure at some, yes. at some point someone would have uh, let them know that, and they, hopefully they would have changed the name. It kind of reminds me of, um, on, on Voyager, they were originally thinking of ha- having an episode called Blink of an Eye, and then someone said, that's a TOS episode, so they changed it to yeah. Wink of an Eye. <laughs> so, oh. yeah. So I don't know, maybe they would. It's so funny how some of the names are similar because that happened, what, in Lost Episodes uh, number uh, one, Yeah, where it was the bonding, which turned out to later be a season three TNG. And that makes a little more sense, like it wasn't released and they were going to reuse it. But this, there was like an established episode from 20 years before. So anyway, so. Do your homework, writers. (laughs) Well, what's what's interesting, so I'm usually able to find information about these these writers, but it says written by J.D. Kurtz. I looked on Memory Alpha. I did an online search. I tried to do everything I could. I have no idea who this person is. <laughs> so if any was this when they did, had the open form? I think it's before or was that, that season three. I think that started with Michael Pillar, like around season three. But right. but like okay. I, I mean, usually there's some information. So if any listener knows who this JD Kurtz is, who wrote this TNG script, Immunity Syndrome, let us know because I could find like absolutely no information anywhere <laughs> or, or jd kurtz if you're listening right now oh yeah us. <laughs> that's possible let us know you never know <laughs> you never know <laughs> all right so yeah so i don't have too much to say about it uh other than those things and i'll get started with what this episode is about so the ss beagle is in its death throes the captain of the vessel stating as much in his log pointing out that death is their only hope for freedom He orders the ship's hatches to be blown, and from outside the craft, we see every hatch explode out, taking the atmosphere from within with them. And it says here, as the author of the script notes, the SS Beagle dies, preserved for all eternity in the empty void. So it starts with Mm. some other ship, the SS Beagle, having Mm. some trouble. I wonder if it's a science vessel or something like that. That, Oh, you mean because of what Darwin ship the Beagle? That would make sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So then uh, Picard's log informs us the Enterprise is being, bringing supplies to the Beagle, but all contact was mysteriously lost. Riker has hailing frequencies opened. I don't know what other time you see that Riker is opening hailing frequencies, but whatever. Yeah, that <laughs> caught me off guard there. Like, Maybe Riker. he uh, was on the bridge, uh, had the con, and ordered someone else to do it. I don't know. So it says Riker has hailing frequencies open and scanner sweeps performed all to no avail. Their only hope is to go to the ship's last purported position and save anyone who might be left. Uh, The Enterprise launches a probing vessel, which arrives before she dies, and the crew quickly determines the Beagle is dead. 
Um, <clears throat> now, that some of the language in this thing is a little confusing. A probing vessel, like usually they're launching probes. But by the way, you'll see later, this is actually season one. So I think it's the point at which maybe that some of the writers were a little unsure, like what they would call some of the things. Um, and, mm. and it also says arrives before she dies, maybe the ship, because sometimes ships are called she anyway. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> so um, Riker puts the ship on full alert and tells the captain that he's needed on the bridge. Once Picard arrives, he's told of the status of the Beagle, as well as the fact there is no damage to the ship or any radiation residue trailers. It does say radiation mm. residue trailers. I don't know. Just no radiation residue. <laughs> so sometimes like when they're pulling things from these scripts, this is from a book that just kind of, I'm not looking at the script. It, it actually just pulls things in. Sometimes the language is a little weird. <laughs> so it looks like there's nothing mm. wrong with it. But, you know, the ship's kind of dead in space. Uh, so considering this, Picard tells him to prepare an away team, which Riker does, consisting of himself, Beverly, Geordi, and Data. The away team beams over in, quote, form-fitting spacesuits, the latest in 24th century technology. <laughs> again. Oh, my again, gosh. Season one. So they don't necessarily, like, I think this is early season one when that, none of them had aired yet. So they're form-fitting spacesuits. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a little different than what we got. Um, yes. So as the team uh, breaks up, Data, Jordy, and Riker proceed to the bridge where they find a body frozen to a chair as a result of depressurizing. So, yeah, I assume they're in some environmental suit. Uh, Riker mm. asks Jordy to try and bring the ship's engines back online while Data has moved over to a console and realized that every aspect of the ship's computer memory was frozen solid and therefore its information is irretrievable. So it's really cold on the bridge. The computer's frozen. <laughs> Like, literally frozen. Wow. <clears throat> so just as Riker starts to grow angry at this, he receives a communique from Beverly Crusher, who asks that he come down to sickbay. In sickbay, life support has been restored, and Beverly removes her helmet, as does her assistant, Ames. So, like we've seen in some of these other scripts, some new guest character, somebody named Ames. Um, so Riker enters the area and is led to a frozen body, its chest exploded open. That sounds really gruesome. <laughs> I wonder how they would have done that in season one, but yeah. Like aliens? Like the chest explodes? Uh, maybe. Sure? I mean, it, its chest is exploded open, so it it was frozen there before, so it exploded. And it says there is frozen blood everywhere. Ooh. Ew. <laughs> yeah. Well, it made me think of conspiracy when the head Oh, explodes, yeah, I could see so. that. I could see that. <laughs> I mean, except it's like frozen, like all the... Yeah, blood. frozen. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a horror show so far. Um, so Beverly chalks it up to explosive decompression as a result of the ship's hatches being blown. Riker nears the body, but is told to stay away from it as the risk of contamination does exist. Okay, risk of contamination exists, but Beverly took off her helmet. That's interesting. Yeah, that's not the smartest of moves. Yeah. Although you see like in the original series in the Naked Time, like where they have these really kind of flimsy helmets and the guy reaches under to like scratch his nose and lets in a contaminant. So maybe it's a bit like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But I was thinking these the naked now and naked time mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, where it's like something's gone wrong, they're frozen and dead. Yeah, kind of yeah. like that. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, so Riker nears the body, told to stay away from it as the risk of contamination does exist. It is Beverly's opinion that the hatches were blown in an attempt to destroy something which would have proven malignant to much more than just the crew of the Beagle. Shortly thereafter, the away team reappears on the transporter platform aboard the Enterprise. They are decontaminated and step off the platform. Now, that's kind of interesting. It talks about decontamination maybe happening at the transporter platform. 
again, they're they're right. kind of playing with some things like how it would work. So, yeah. Well, at least they didn't <laughs> have to ha- use decontamination. <laughs> didn't use the gel. decon gel like an enterprise. Yeah, I mean they don't really talk <laughs> about decontamination because, like, for the most part, they're going in TNG. They're going over to ships that have breathable air, and when they're coming back, I think at some point we're told they have a biofilter that can filter out you know viruses and toxins and whatever. So, yeah. They have decontamination on the transporter, apparently. So the bodies of the corpses are placed on futuristic gurneys with Riker telling... I want to know what futuristic gurney is. Maybe it's a little bit like the levitating ones you see sometimes. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, With Riker telling Beverly that he wants a full report upon the completion of the autopsies. She says it will be done right away, then notes that Ames doesn't look well. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh. To which the man replies that he doesn't handle death very well. Okay. Doesn't like looking at death. And he's like medical assistant, right? (laughs) Well, that's not good. And maybe you might want to choose a different profession. Possibly. (laughs) So Beverly tells him to report to sickbay after completing his reports. In the captain's ready room, Riker has detailed their discovery to Picard, who conjectures that the reason no one else was found on the Beagle is that they had never returned to the vessel. Play this scenario, says Picard. The Beagle sends a party down somewhere in the Aldebaran system and brings back some contaminant with them. I'm assuming there's somewhere near this Aldebaran system that wasn't mentioned before, but <laughs> um, so they bring. He thinks maybe they brought back some contaminant from a planet. Riker picks up on his line of thought, adding that they must have returned to that world to find a cure. With the captain adding that they never made it back. Turning his attention to Geordi, he asks that they do everything they can to retrace, retrace the, the Beagle's travel route. Back in sickbay, Beverly examines Ames, but chalks up his reaction to seeing death and nothing more. So nothing to worry about, guys. That's Nothing's going to happen there, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> foreshadowing. Yeah, heavy foreshadowing. Physically, he seems all right, but she recommends that he come back to see her again in two days. Okay. <laughs> That's a long yeah. period of time. You know what? You're just having a bad reaction to seeing some death. Uh, you don't look so well, but uh, see me in two days. Continue with your job. It's, yeah. it's cool. Even though you're my medical assistant and should be used to this with your training and everything. But yeah, I'll chalk it up to that. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So back on the bridge, Jordy tells Picard that thus far they've been able to narrow the trajectories of the Beagle down to 1,200 and that they'll try to limit it down further. Now, that's kind of interesting. They're saying the possible trajectories, there's 1,200 possible trajectories and they need to narrow it down more. Because I think usually in Star Trek, it's like, oh, where did what was the trajectory of this thing let me work on that oh here you go it went like this you know but there's like 1200 possible trajectories okay um then the captain contacts sickbay wanting a progress report from beverly who explains that the only cause of death was the explosive decompression there is no sign of an inside influence which may have caused the ship's captain to blow the hatches and by the way they keep talking about blowing the hatches but like what what does that mean are they talking about what what like i mean like there are hatches on like marine ships but like on a starship what is a hatch <laughs> the window's being blown out like a window <laughs> like the cargo bays oh yeah i could see that the cargo bay door but yeah yeah anyway yeah. i thought that was interesting so <laughs> it says Riker is hooked on the idea of a contaminant but admits admits there really isn't any proof of such a disease at that moment beverly mentions that everyone should go easy on Ames for the next few days hint hint because he's having a hard time dealing with the dead bodies he saw on the beagle <laughs> Well, if only there was a counselor there to help him get through this struggle. Yes, Troy has not it's made like, an like, appearance it's like yet. like she needs to do her job. But, but, but hold, hold on. Job. I mean, we're only partway through. So like, we, <laughs> oh, okay. we, we, with, with, <laughs> so just to give you an idea of where we are, 
So in the, like usually with, with scripts for something like The Next Generation or an hour long drama, there's like five acts. We're through the first act so far. So there's more. Oh my gosh. I know. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. So the channel is closed with Picard pointing out that death can be hard on someone at any age, especially if it's your own. Okay. So Wes is trying to involve Ames in a game of chess droids. By the way, I want to know what the heck chess droids is. <laughs> That's crossing the streams, right? It definitely right? sounds like a Star Wars thing, but... Um, yeah. Chess droids. It's like chess dash droids. So I, hmm. chess with some android looking things as pieces floating around i don't know <laughs> yeah that move yeah <laughs> so Gross. he's trying to involve Ames in a game of chess droids but the other man isn't interested um explain explaining that they're in the middle of nowhere and the only thing keeping them from the harshness of space is the bulkhead of the ship that they occupy we don't belong here he says it's not meant to be Ames insists that the enterprise crew is going to end up exactly like the beagles a fight develops between them, but two crewmen come over and break them up. So Wesley getting into a fight with Ames. Hmm. <laughs> so as, that's not plausible. It's not too much in character, but yeah, they didn't know not what for Ames first was. season, Wesley. They didn't know what Wes was. Yeah. <laughs> as the struggle grows more serious, Wes contacts security and then sick bay, requesting the presence of a medic. In sick bay, Beverly is amazed at the change in Ames. Like nobody could have seen that coming, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> Noting that his white blood cell count is way above where it should be, but her real concern is over the way he's acting, which is why she contacted Troy. Ding, ding, Troy, Troy. <laughs> She's in this one. It's about time. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime later, Picard, Riker, Beverly, and Troy meet in the bridge lounge with the captain trying to determine just what is going on with Ames. Troy, unfortunately, has not been able to exert much of an effect on the man. When the captain snaps at her that he expects some answers, Beverly responds that she is doing the best that she can. Riker starts to cough, which immediately draws the doctor's attention due to the fact that the commander is one of those people who never gets sick. Beverly suspects the disease is starting to spread. Yes, Beverly, that would make sense. <laughs> Without a tricorder and all that? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. So Troy disagrees, pointing out they were all decontaminated when they were beamed back aboard the Enterprise. You can't decontaminate yourself for something you don't know exists. Beverly bluntly snaps back. So uh, some snapping between. <laughs> well, that's Beverly weird because just two sentences two sentences ago she was defending Troy. She's doing her best. You can't know this. <laughs> it is like <clears throat> I know I'm making a little bit of fun of this one, but it, it is a bit messy in like what's going on, and I think they would have had to rewrite and figure it figure it out. But let's mm -hmm. see where this one continues to go. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> okay, so uh, Picard agrees, stating the boarding party will have to be quarantined, but the doctor notes it's too late for that. If there is a disease, it's already started to spread. She does, however, want the away team to report to sickbay for examinations. Picard orders Geordi to go to sickbay, and after a moment's hesitation, asks West to take over the task of limiting potential trajectories of the Beagle. In character, he's really smart. He can do that. <laughs> so... Back in sickbay, in the midst of examinations, Beverly asks Riker what he had for breakfast, but the commander can't come up with the answer. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> she then asks Geordi some trivia, which he answers immediately. He then can go back to his station, but Riker cannot return to the bridge because <laughs> he can't remember what he had for breakfast. Yeah, that's worrying. Uh, hmm. So Riker and other members of the away team are told that they'll be prepped for surgery based on what Beverly discovered during the last phase of the autopsies performed on the Beagle crew members. I don't know. I mean, it seems like um, some of the medicine isn't advanced as what we knew in TNG. 
Yeah, that's a little scary. <laughs> um, I'm just going to go in for some surgery. going to prep you for surgery. Like, and at no time does it say anything about like, let me whip out my tricorder and see if it tells me anything or a scan. Yeah, like surgery for what purpose? Exploratory? <laughs> Exploratory that's, I guess. Yeah, that's not 24th medicine. Yeah, it's, it's not seeming like the 24th century medicine we know. But let's see how this goes. <laughs> So the doctor explains she wants to perform a brain scan on Riker, and he muses the cure is worse than the disease itself. I hope the brain scan isn't like some part of exploratory surgery, too. It's like, wow. So anyway, sorry, I can't help with some of these asides. Patients always think that way is her response, especially ones with an exaggerated sense of self-importance. I'm also detecting there's in here that there's a lot more like conflict among the crew than we're used to seeing in early TNG. Right, yeah. Maybe this writer wasn't aware of that <laughs> that gene roddenberry wanted to like have really no although they are maybe under the influence of something but anyway it's quite interesting <clears throat> all right so after beverly accuses Riker of having an exaggerated self sense of self-importance he says what's that supposed to mean and beverly says it means the ship will survive without you for a while um okay <laughs> Did he just get relieved? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of sounds like it. So there's then a scream from Ames, but by the time Beverly has arrived, the man is in the midst of a massive coronary, and all attempts to reverse it prove fruitless. Riker looks on in horror. Sorry, Ames, character of the week. (laughs) Um, So then Wes and Jordy inform Picard that they're almost there in terms of their research, thanks in large part to Wes's contribution. Then summoned... (laughs) Yay, Wes. I know Richard's not happy with that. All right, so... I'm sorry, who are you talking about? <laughs> no one, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so then summoned to sickbay, Picard learns that the captain of the Beagle was suffering from a brain infection, which resulted from a reduction of its immune abilities. Beverly terms it a cancer of the blood, which eventually results in death. Using a medical device, she punches up the image of one of the dead men's insides, showing the green areas, which indicate the places attacked by the virus. When the hatches of the beagle were blown, not only were the bodies frozen, but so was the virus itself, which was unleashed when brought into the warmer atmosphere of the Enterprise. It is her belief that the virus can survive in the atmosphere for approximately two hours. Apparently, the other ship contracted the disease while in the Aldebaran star system, which is probably the only place that they'll be able to find a cure. Picard asks if she's all right, and the doctor replies that she's a carrier without any of the symptoms. So far, Ames and Riker are the only two infected. Okay, feels like there's a lot of stuff in here, doesn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. why would only two people get infected? That's, yeah. So far, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Picard then returns to the bridge where the computer has finally been able to trace the trajectory of the Beagle. A course is laid in and Enterprise is on her way. Going back to sickbay, the captain checks on Riker, who's growing weaker and more paranoid, believing they're all going to die. Uh, Beverly comes over with a hypo to calm him down, but the commander states that they're trying to kill him. She's eventually successful, and Riker passes out. (laughs) (laughs) Then there is the sound of a struggle from another area of sickbay, where a crewman is screaming out that he won't let the witch, in quotes, use black magic on him. Hmm, not a good choice of words. Okay, (laughs) so two members of security try to hold him at bay, but it isn't easy. One of the men explains that they caught this person with a thermite grenade, about to kill himself with it. Beverly tells them to strap him down in the ward. Once this is done, Beverly fears things will grow worse before they get better, with the captain pessimistically wondering if they will ever get better. Picard the pessimist, right? 
right? Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. So back on the bridge, uh, the Enterprise is locking into orbit around Aldebaran 4 with data starting to scan the planet. Now, here's how I know it's season one. Tasha interjects. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. It took me a while. Like the first time I read this, I was like, what season is this? And Tasha's there. So it's season one. So Tasha interjects that there are problems with various crew members on several decks. Beverly adds that there are 12 cases already in sickbay and that they're beginning to lose control over the situation. Meanwhile, in sickbay, Riker asks Davis, a med tech, again, some random medical guy, for some water and tricks the man into opening his bonds. The commander immediately dispatches him and is on his feet, a maniacal grin on his face. Ha ha ha, you can imagine. Maybe a maniacal <laughs> laugh too. Anyway. <clears throat> All right, so... Ship scanners have detected a nuclear power source, which data deduces to be a man-made structure. Beverly believes that is the key they've been searching for. With Picard's permission, she has data organized in a way team, all of whom beam down mere moments later. On the surface, they discover a research hut which was constructed by the crew of the Beagle, and within it they discover three bodies mummified in the planet's dry air, which are deemed the other members of the Beagle crew. Hmm. Mummified, so a little more horror in there. <laughs> <laughs> so back on the ship, Davis comes to and tells Tasha what happened, and she in turn alerts security to the fact that the commander is to be captured. Meanwhile, Riker dispatches someone else and steals the man's phaser before continuing on his journey through the ship. Back on Aldebaran 4, Data suggests that they burn the bodies to prevent the spread of disease, which Beverly concurs with. I don't know of too many places in Star Trek where it's like, let's burn the bodies. <laughs> yeah. It's a little little odd but sure <clears throat> so while he sees to it she goes back within the hut and grabs various tapes and slides which she crams into a viewer now there was a reference i think earlier here to like record tapes so i think they're going along with some of the terminology of tos <laughs> instead mm -hmm. of some of what you have in tng right right yeah. yeah so tapes and slides she puts into a viewer so later, Picard contacts her, and she explains that the Beagle crew had found a planet which might be able to reverse the effect of the virus, but they ran out of time before they could use it. She's going to try to finish what they started. Picard only asks that she hurry as things are getting out of hand on board the Enterprise. So back on the Enterprise, Riker enters auxiliary control, which I think is another, that's something you hear about in TOS, like they can control the ship from auxiliary control, and you I don't think you really have that on the Enterprise D. There's more like the Battle Bridge. So Yeah, that was thinking Battle so Bridge. So it must be pretty early where they they had didn't have some of the different terminology. So anyway, Riker enters auxiliary control, takes care of the guard on duty, and starts maneuvering various controls. On the bridge, Geordi receives an alert from the engineering deck. Tasha picks up on it, stating that auxiliary control has been locked off with the bio and warp systems being controlled from that area. Geordi informs them there is no way to override it. And the news goes from bad to worse when Picard learns that Riker is the culprit. He tells Tasha to have a security team meet him at auxiliary control. Arriving there, the captain begs Riker to let him in, but the commander merely argues that they're all dying, and he's just helping everyone out by speeding up the process. Picard wants the doors to the area blown open, but one of the security guards states that doing so would prove damaging to the guidance control computers. He slams the man against a wall, demanding that he follow orders, and then pulls back as he realizes what he's doing. So yeah. Picard slamming someone against a wall. And he's not like, as far as we know, infected maybe. I don't know, but very, very out of character. So yeah. Anyway, I think he's affected, but regaining his senses, he tells the man to get a plasma engineer to cut through the door. 
On the planet, Data watches the flames which have engulfed the three bodies they had discovered. He then steps within the research hut, only to find that Beverly is starting to fall under the influence of the disease, chastising him because he supposedly thinks he's above them all. Because he's not dying like the rest of them. <laughs> Boy, this thing really makes them angry and paranoid yeah. and lashing out. <laughs> Data suggests that she not lose control, which she somehow manages to agree with. There's an alarm from a computer she's been working with, which indicates her experiments are complete. She removes a vial of green fluid and has Data injected in her arm. A moment later, she collapses to the floor. Then, Beverly comes to with Data's assistance. A blood sample is taken, and they discover the virus has been destroyed by the vaccine. Hooray! She cooked up a vaccine in no time at all. Yay! <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, she is a good doctor. Yeah, and this one, she's a miracle worker. Really, she really is. Yeah. <laughs> She then tries to contact the Enterprise, where on the bridge, Geordi states that their orbit is starting to break up due to Riker, what Riker's been doing. Beverly gets through on a rapidly disintegrating communication channel. Picard orders the, transpor tran huh. Picard orders the transporter room to beam up the away team. Geordi says their orbit is decaying rapidly and that the whole temperature is now 900 degrees Kelvin. The word comes from the transporter room, the away team is aboard. Wes approaches Picard, stating that he has come up with a theory which will allow the Enterprise to slingshot its way across the atmosphere of the planet and then allow them to break out of orbit. Okay. The captain accepts what the boy ha has said and his plan is put into motion. After an extremely dangerous moment or two, the starship ends up in space again, having narrowly avoided destruction. Then Riker, who had been hauled out of auxiliary control, enters the bridge, trying to place himself under arrest for mutiny. I place myself <laughs> under arrest. <laughs> for mutiny yeah sorry that's Picard's voice <laughs> and so Beverly follows and is joined by Data in the turbo lift Beverly apologizes for what she had said to Data on the surface but he brushes it off by saying there are times we all do things we regret it is after all what makes us human human right of course because he season uh -huh. one he knows exactly <laughs> right. yeah so yeah. so on the bridge Picard congratulates Wesley for his plan Jordy states the ship's warp engines are back to full capacity, and bearing that in mind, Picard orders the Enterprise to engage its engines at warp one. So, yeah, I think there's quite a few similarities here to things like the Naked Time from TOS and the Naked Now from TNG. Mm -hmm. But what? So let me start with Richard this time. Uh, what do you think of this one overall, and would you have liked to have seen it? I. I don't know if I would want to see it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it, to me. I think it would it, it, uh, maybe later on in the series that it would be better um, versus it, versus like in season two because this is season it one. Seems a bit season one with Tasha. Oh, I'm sorry, early. season one. Yeah. yeah so I, I think it would be better the next season or something like that where you really establish because I mean. Some of those, some of those emotions are like you, you know you you don't really know Picard really that well in season one, mm -hmm. and everyone else pretty much in season one, and um, yeah, it just seems a little off to be uh, in season one. I mean, it's definitely yeah. season two or season three, but uh, well, it, not it, this it, one. It, but I mean, it also has work. a lot of TOS terminology, so I think it's it's early on enough yeah. that they don't know some what some of the terminology might be on TNG, which is which yeah, is interesting. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Amy, what do you think? And would you have liked to have seen it? 
No, I would not have liked to have seen it. Um, I think they didn't get the memo that there's not supposed to be conflict amongst the characters, you know, because yeah. just what they're describing, you know, between Crusher and Troy and Riker and, you know, all these things. It's like, no, they would not behave this way. Um, and there's, yeah, so I don't like the way, and of course it's season one, so they don't really know how the characters are going to interact with each other. Yeah. So I can excuse it for that. But I think it does uh, have a lot of similarities to a lot of season ones where Wesley saves the day where he's, you know, he's going to narrow down the traje trajectories and, oh, now we can follow and find this planet. And then, oh, we're going to slingshot. No. So, you know, the Wesley saves the day well, but it, theme is definitely there in full force. It's Whoa. Wesley and Beverly. It's like mother and son <laughs> save the day together. Yeah, that's Whoa. true. Oh. Mm. So, I'm sorry, what guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think um, it's interesting, but I don't think I would have cared to have seen this too much. Yeah. yeah. Well, you are right about the, the, the conflict, and that very well could be the very reason why it was next you know what i mean like they didn't even i mean I, you to, know be, because i couldn't find the information on this person that they actually worked on tng i think when uh the next generation was first announced i think some writers had contacted them and like sent scripts or whatever and it may have been one of those things like it wasn't a person on staff but they were just sending something in that we have a record of and mm -hmm. they were just like yeah. oh we'd have to change this too much based on what we're actually want to do something like that Right. So, right. yeah, I mean, I, it, it's kind of interesting because it, it is one of those episodes where it's like, oh, my goodness, something's happening. It's an infection. It's spreading. It's wreaking destruction. Somebody's taking over. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, actually, the part where Riker takes over auxiliary control, I think if I remember right, in The Naked Time in TOS, Riley does the exact same thing where he takes yeah. over auxiliary control and they have to cut in with the torch and all that stuff. So they kind of lifted it from there. So I, I don't know, like, I mean, what this might have have added because i mean i think for some of these before there have been certain like concepts or things where like oh that's an interesting way you could have had data's origin or oh that's kind of you know an interesting idea for this or that but for this one i don't know what it's really uh, like introducing or, or adding it just feels like yeah, it would have been okay but to mm -hmm. i mean like if i'm to compare the two for sure i'd rather see returned forever like in whatever form they would have put that in it's a lot more exciting and there and there isn't i think a really compelling like guest character like we had in some of the other lost episodes it's like there's like some random medical people that don't really have too much importance you know there's not a strong mm -hmm. character like one of those we had this billings guy who was like you get a sense of who he is you know it's, it's right, not quite right. like that so but interesting yeah if, and at. i thought it was interesting when Beverly's like apologizing to Data and it's like, well, first season Data would have said, well, you don't need to apologize. I have no feelings and just left it at that. Like he doesn't know what human nature is. Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom what in what he says human. in this that he might not have had yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, right. no, he just would have said, you don't need to apologize. I have no feelings. Yeah, or, or he would have said something like, you know, no need to apologize. You know, you're in some irrational state. I don't die. I can't help that. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. But what's it, what's wasn't data more condescending um like in a like a um passive aggressive like way in most of the season like you know like like he he spoke like a machine but you know what i mean like but uh didn't really try I to offend that I, I didn't see it as condescending 
Well, maybe not. Maybe condescending is the wrong word, uh, but definitely, you know, it the way he came across that he felt that it sounded like he was superior. Well, because than he's, I think, everyone because, else I think was, early on but, because he's not aware of how people take him or what their reactions are. Yeah. Well, and maybe, in encounter yeah. at Farpoint, you know, when Riker meets him, and he's like, "So you feel that you are superior?" And he's mm-hmm. like, "I am superior." Oh, so you think you're better than us? No, I want to be like you. You know, so I think mm-hmm. there's that fine balance yeah. of he knows he he is superior mm-hmm. in many ways, but that's what, that's what I, exactly yeah. what I mean. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mm-hmm. said that. Thank you. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, it, it, it's interesting to consider some of these like roads not taken or what they tell us about the characters. So, I, I mean, I think it's still worthwhile to talk about it. But yeah, I don't know if I would have wanted to see it really. And it's the form it's in, unfortunately. Yeah. Not in season one. That's for sure. Yeah. Hmm. So. Yeah. So final thoughts. Uh, Amy, what do you think of all that? Well, <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting to see these two scripts. And I think like you can really tell, I think Return to Forever, the first one, had a lot more thought put into it. Mm. Um, Whereas the immunity syndrome, it it just definitely seems like a first draft. I mean, maybe Mm. a second draft, but I wouldn't go any further. You know, Um, they're definitely both calling back to the original series, like, yeah, season one. And like you mentioned so many times in the immunity syndrome, there's a lot of callback to TOS terminology and return to forever is bringing back Spock. So the interaction between the original series and TNG is so interesting to explore because we know they just definitely wanted to distance themselves and not have anything to do with TOS. And it's actually a coincidence that these two are together. Right. Like originally I was going to do a different one, but then when this outline for return to forever, I was like, we've got to talk about this and and, and not even thinking like, Oh, the next one in the book is this one that has all these like TOS touchstones to TOS, Yeah. So it's, (laughs) it's very interesting to talk about and see these connections with TOS. I think it's great. And yeah, I definitely would want to see return to forever and not so much the immunity syndrome. So that's a one, one for me. Hmm. You know, and I would actually agree with that too, uh, about the uh, it needs a couple more or it needs another draft or something like that. Or like this is definitely a rough draft and probably for both of them uh, would probably be a good idea yeah. for them to like rework some of it, work it in and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I I, I, I absolutely love the conversation we had here in Return to Forever. <laughs> I love that. It's just great. It just popped up. and like, well, wait a second. You know, well, this this is not this is this is what we're getting in Discovery soon. And I'm like, well, what do you guys think? Yeah, I like love 30 that. years later. Right. <laughs> So, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think it was really interesting uh, looking at these. And I mean, I think for Return to Forever, that would have been so interesting to see. And it feels like there's, there's a lot of thought that's put into it and like up to a certain point. And then when it gets to the point where it's like Spock defeats the boy, it's like, okay, we need more detail there. I mean, clearly it would have like if it could have happened, because to go beyond that stage, it probably been, would have been like, hold on, <laughs> let's see if Leonard Nimoy is available because we can't do this without him kind of thing. Right. So uh, it, it it would have needed that to go further, but if it would have gone further and through different drafts, it could have been interesting or it could have been an interesting two-parter or something like that uh, that would have would have really changed things. So I think, yeah, we had a great discussion about that. It was very lively. And then the immunity syndrome was, you know, pretty interesting to to talk about and think about and see what some of these ideas people have that were floating around. Because what I love about doing this is that, you know, we've talked about all of the hundred and something, 70 something episodes in the four movies, but 
I like to see with those characters what other people would have done. And that's kind of why I love reading the novels as well, because there's just so much with the same characters that you can continue to explore. So yeah, I really enjoyed it, but I agree with you guys. Return to Forever, would love to see it. The Immunity Syndrome, not in its current form. <laughs> yeah, to uh, still a phrase from Trek Geeks, see it and skip it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that about go. sums it up. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but, you know, let us know. And because there's all these TOS touchstones, if you're listening, uh, Zach, Haley, and Ken from Standard Orbit, let us know what you think. <laughs> there's a lot of TOS stuff we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So, the moment everyone's been list- oh, waiting for. Yes. <laughs> is the preview for next episode. So, to... I guess celebrate our 250th. To celebrate our so 250th episode of Earl Grey. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, this, this. I mean, we were gonna do it for the 200, and um, it just I guess took a little longer. It no, out. it just took a little longer. No, 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 no. I took it out. It took it out. Let's just let's just okay. be honest. <laughs> so, so, um, so 200, we were gonna do the Star Trek role playing game. Funny enough, I uh, got clearance from them and everything, and it was all ready to go. And like I said, I chickened out. So. Anyway, <laughs> but fear not, 250, we're going to uh, do the Star Trek um, role-playing game, and characters have already been set mm. for both Amy and uh, Justin, uh, and they have their character sheets and everything, so I'm excited. Um, so, of course, I'll be the game master, so... Yes, yeah. so listeners, see if you can guess... <laughs> what our characters are and and also i think when we re- when we record the episode which i think we're going to do before uh this one yeah before this one comes out i think we're going to post something in the babel conference that'll have our character names on it which will give you more of a clue so be sure you head over there uh to do that why am i telling people to do this because this is going to air after that happens so go back in the right. past and do that <laughs> or if it's already in the babel conference you can see it and get a preview oh Time travel. There you go. Time. <laughs> I don't have the time to talk about I, time. Because I know I've been teasing, yeah. uh, or at least I teased the... Um, you did, with your dice, dice. Yeah. yeah. with the dice. But this is yeah. going to be... Like, I know on Earl Grey, the, the uh, previous crew did uh, some role-playing games before, and that was a lot of fun. Right. But some trivia, now, now's yeah. our time to do a role-playing game. I don't know how it'll go, but I think we'll have a lot of fun, so you guys can't miss it. <laughs> Yep, well, I'm we'll, very looking forward yeah. to it. I've never even done I either. <laughs> anything similar to role-playing games. So but, but f- everyone's been very supportive yeah. and say, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. But fear not, Richard has done tons of preparation. So our game master is going to be very ready, even if us as the game players aren't as ready. Right? Right? <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope so. This will be the first time. I mean, I played many times uh uh, as a, as a player, but I've never done it to game as a master. Game. Oh. Well, yeah, and like yeah. we're not even in the same room, that's like right. virtual role playing. <laughs> that's right. That's that's true. That's true, and I could hide more too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we were like face to face. So um, for sure, um, I would love for you guys to. Um, uh, give me some feedback, but also be kind. <laughs> that's my first. <laughs> So I'm very excited. I I've been working a lot for this, and I would, I, I was gonna give you guys 
like a hint to what it is, but I can't because that would ruin. A good no, they'll just have to. They'll so, just have to see what our I'm characters just, are yeah, and what the scenario is. Just wait for next is. week, listeners. Yeah, yeah, just wait. Because <laughs> so you know, be Amy and I like have our characters. We know what that's going to be like. But we have no idea what the scenario is, except that it'll mm-hmm. be 24th century because it's a TNG right. show. But other TNG. than that, we are going to have absolutely no idea before Richard tells us what the scenario is. So it'll be a surprise. <laughs> so this is going to be fun. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been so much fun talking about lost episodes of TNG today, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. However, one thing Everyone's I do Everyone's la- going to sing the song, Everyone Join Me. Life Force. No, I will not join you. I'm sorry. Life Force. <laughs> okay, Where however, are you? Le- <laughs> Meta Trex. Speaking of character, I always found it interesting how many ways Q manifests himself, the characters that he takes on. We see him as a Starfleet commander, a Bajoran waiter, we see him as an alien captain. Uh, this this Q's is just a, man a cosplayer. Of- <laughs> That's a man of many faces. Who knew Q was such a theater geek? The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. I felt like I was in a Vegas casino and the bling, 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 like it was the jackpot. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? How is she affecting the replicators and that's throwing food out? I've never seen a replicator throw food out. Melodic Treks. Well, it was definitely about a lower budget. There was no question that... We could not afford Jerry Goldsmith. And later, by the time we got to do Star Trek VI, we couldn't afford Jamie Horner. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website, or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways you can do that. The best place is to join the larger conversation in the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show, just like we did for two listeners today. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So Richard, where can people contact you when you're not talking to two Spocks about the Guardian of Forever? I don't know. I just don't want to get like Vulcan neck pinched or something like that. <laughs> Maybe you'd it get a, like a, a pinch on like each side of your shoulder. Both sides, like, yeah. Dude, <laughs> one the older and the pinch. younger. Ooh, that's be interesting. We didn't see that in <laughs> 09. <laughs> That'll kill you. <laughs> well, uh, you guys can find me on Facebook. I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference. Uh, and I am also on Twitter. My handle is xransom. <laughs> 
Amy, where can people contact you when you're not taking Spock on a tour of the Enterprise D? Was that the old one or the new one? I think that's the that's the uh, old Spock that you're taking on a tour, like at the end oh, of okay. the outline. Yeah. All right. Oh, I thought she was. I thought she was referencing to the remodel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Spock. Oh, the Enterprise uh, D. Just wanted yeah. to let you yeah. know we've had a little remodel recently, so. Yes. Need the to show you the upgrades. I'm still waiting for someone in the Babel conference to reference the the remodel. It ha- didn't happen last episode, and I thought it would. <laughs> well, you can find me here on the network. I co-host The Edge, which is the show about Star Trek Discovery. I am on Twitter, at Miss Amy Nelson, where I can finally say I am tweeting about my rewatch of Deep Space Nine, and I am now in season five. Yeah. It gets better and better and better. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But my favorite place is in the Babel Conference, uh, reading and commenting along with you listeners. Well, Justin, (laughs) where can people contact you when you're not playing a game of chess droids? I need to know what it looks like to be able to play that game. Hmm. Um, Justin, uh, just whatever you do, let the Wookiee win. (laughs) (laughs) Good advice. Good advice. (laughs) Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, currently tweeting out my season six rewatch of The Next Generation and lots of other great Star Trek stuff. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize and thank our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Forget. Today is a good day to die!